Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we have a Bible in the News report from Marvin McIlvaney, but first, we're going to continue listening in on a very unique conversation between the late J.R. Church and our very own staff evangelist, James Collins. Before we get to that, I want to remind you about two special things that are happening at SWRC and Watchmen on the Wall. First, our next in-person conference is March 25th and 26th in Tri-Cities, Tennessee. Two full days designed to help you bring clarity to the chaos with nationally known speakers. Registration has exploded. There are less than 100 seats left. Register today by calling 1-800-652-1144 or visit the events page of our website, swrc.com. Next, I want to encourage you to support our recording studio project. Your generous gifts will help us update all of the equipment and software that we use to bring you this program each day. Support the Studio 50 project today by calling 1-800-652-1144 or by giving online swrc.com. Now, let's continue listening to James Collins and J.R. Church unpack the ancient grail legend and find out what it means for us today. Last time, we heard a special program featuring J.R. Church, the founder and host of Prophecy in the News. We began listening to a series of teachings from J.R. about his book, Guardians of the Grail. Recently, some recordings were discovered in the vault of Southwest Radio Ministries. These recordings have been digitally remastered, and they're now available on compact disc as a companion to J.R.'s book, Guardians of the Grail. Today, we're going to continue listening to J.R. Church as he discusses the myth of Mary Magdalene. He begins today by revealing the origin of the skull and crossbones. Have you ever wondered about the origin of the famous but ancient skull and crossbones? The symbol was used hundreds of years ago by the famous pirates on the high seas. In more recent times, it became a symbol of warning used on bottles of poison. But where did it come from? Well, the story goes back at least to the year 1307, to Paris, France, and the overthrow of the Knights Templar by the French King Philip and his puppet Pope, Clement V. You may recall the Knights Templar were the Crusader Knights who wore white tunics with big red crosses on their chests. They were also called the Guardians of the Holy Grail and of the Grail family, the Merovingian bloodline. It is said that Philip, King of France, hated the Templars and wanted to confiscate their treasure. He had all of the Knights Templar arrested throughout France, broke into their castle at Paris, and searched the place in hopes of finding their magnificent treasure. Unfortunately, the place had been cleared out, and all the gold was gone. However, they did find a large silver bust in the shape of a woman's head. It was hinged on top, and inside they found two head bones wrapped in a cloth of white linen, with another red cloth around it. The bones inside were those of a rather small woman. They were worshipped by the Knights Templar and were thought to be the skeletal remains of Mary Magdalene. Some of the Templars who were interrogated by the Inquisition 
told of a strange ritual wherein the Templars worshipped something called Baphomet. The word seems to be associated with an apparition of a bearded head. Some of the knights told of seance-type rituals where the bearded head would appear out of nowhere and give instructions to the secret worshippers. It is thought that the word Baphomet came from an Arabic word meaning father of wisdom. The existence of these secret ceremonies involving a head of some kind became the dominant theme running throughout the records of the Inquisition. According to some accounts, the mysterious head was that of Hughes de Payen, the founder and first Grand Master of the Knights Templar. So it is suggested that the original skull and crossbones may have been those of Mary Magdalene. Let's listen now as J.R. picks up the story from there. The skull and crossbones is also connected to another mysterious story, traditionally linked with the Templars. It was said that a great lady of Maraclea was loved by a Templar, a lord of Sidon, but she died in her youth. On the night of her burial, this wicked lover crept to the grave and dug up her body. Then a voice from the void bade him return to the tomb after a given period of time, and he obeyed. When he came back several months later and opened the grave again, he found only the skull and crossbones. The same voice then spoke again from the void of the tomb and said, Guard it well, or it will be the giver of all good things. And so he carried it away with him. It became his protective talisman, and he was able to defeat his enemies by merely showing them the magic skull and crossbones. According to the legend, it eventually passed into the possession of the Knights Templar. Well, it's a bizarre story. But according to one ancient account, the name of the woman in the story was Isis. This name also became associated with Mary Magdalene. A few years ago, a booklet was published in France entitled The Red Serpent. It contained 13 prose poems, each corresponding with the sign of the zodiac. Under the last astrological sign of Leo, there was this paragraph. From she whom I desire to liberate, there wafts toward me the fragrance of the perfume which impregnates the sepulchre. Formerly, some named her Isis, queen of all sources, benevolent. Come unto me, all ye who suffer and are afflicted, and I shall give you rest. To others, she is Magdalene, of the celebrated vase filled with healing balm. The initiated know her true name, Notre Dame des Cross. The implications of this paragraph are extremely interesting. Mary Magdalene has become associated with the Egyptian goddess of fertility, Isis, whose name in ancient Babylon was Ishtar. In the paragraph, she is also affiliated with the words Notre Dame. That is a French term which means Our Lady, which down through the centuries was considered to be Mary the Mother of Christ. According to the ancient Knights Templar, however, the Cathedral of Notre Dame was built in the honor of Mary the Magdalene, who, according to the guardians of the Holy Grail, became the so-called wife of Jesus Christ. In his book, Guardians of the Grail, J.R. Church examines the heresy that Jesus Christ fathered children with Mary Magdalene. J.R. makes it clear that he believes this teaching is absolute heresy. Well, take a deep breath 
and try to stomach what I believe to be the greatest heresy of the centuries. The cup was a vessel which, according to the legend, contained the blood of Christ. As the Savior said at the Last Supper, holding the cup in his hand, this is my blood of the New Testament. Well, the so-called guardians of the Holy Grail have perverted that sacred scene and have made the cup to become symbolic of the vessel which supposedly contained and preserved the blood of Christ, namely, the body, or perhaps I should say, the womb of Mary Magdalene. I'm James Collins, and you're listening to a special edition of The Watchman on the Wall. Recently, some recordings were discovered of legendary prophecy teacher J.R. Church speaking about his book, Guardians of the Grail. These recordings have been digitally remastered, and they're available right now on Compact Disc. This set of four CDs and the 320-page book, Guardians of the Grail, are available by calling one 800 652-1144, or you can order online at swrc.com. J.R. devotes a large section of the book and CD set to discuss the Illuminati. Let's listen again as J.R. explains the Illuminati connection to the Guardians of the Grail. The infamous Illuminati was organized on May 1st, 1776, by Adam Weisot, a former Jesuit lawyer and professor at Ingolstadt University in Bavaria. The aim of his secret organization was to replace Christianity with a religion of reason, another word for humanism. Their ultimate goal was to destroy the national governments of the world and establish a single world government. It was the main conspirator of the French Revolution, which saw the fall of the monarchy and the rise of Napoleon. Its leaders also influenced the American Revolution, and hoped to use the colonies as a springboard for world revolution, bringing about the establishment of world government. Just how powerful was the Illuminati? And does it still exist? These are questions asked by concerned Christians who see a decided development toward world government. In 1979, an ad appeared in the April edition of Christianity Today, which read, Nominations for Antichrist now being received. Support letter must accompany nomination. Nominee must be living. All entries become the property of the society. Send entries to John Lawing, Executive Secretary, Illuminati Society, Brussels, Belgium. In the following May edition, the ad was explained as a joke. Many believed, however, that it was in poor taste and the result of extremely poor judgment questions continued to surface. Is there really an Illuminati organization? How long has it been in existence? Who are its members? What are its goals? This much we know. The organization existed at one time. Two reliable sources for documentation include Webster's Dictionary and the Encyclopedia Britannica. Webster's Dictionary gives the following definition for the Illuminati, the members of an anti-clerical, deistic, republican society founded in 1776 by Adam Weisselt, professor of law at Ingolstadt in Bavaria. The Encyclopedia Britannica calls it a short-lived movement founded on May Day, 1776 by Adam Weisselt, a former Jesuit. The members of this secret society considered themselves to be perfectionists 
Their founder's aim was to replace Christianity with a religion of reason. The order was organized along Jesuit lines and kept internal discipline and a system of surveillance based on that model. From 1778 onward, they began to make contact with various Masonic lodges, where under the influence of Mr. A. Nagy, one of their chief converts, they often m managed to gain a commanding position. The total membership, says the Encyclopedia Britannica, never exceeded 2,000. Though the organization under the leadership of Adam Weisopt existed only for a short time, it is obvious that the parent organization existed for centuries before and has continued until this very day. Clarence Kelly, author of the book Conspiracy Against God and Man, once wrote that Weisopt's knowledge of ancient secret societies influenced the structure of his organization. In 1771, a merchant by the name of Colmer returned to Europe from Egypt in search of converts to a so-called secret doctrine founded on Manichaeism, which he had learned in the East. On his way to France, he stopped at Malta, where he nearly brought about an insurrection among the people and was driven from the island by the Knights of Malta. The following year, he met Adam Weisopt on a tour in Germany. Over the next five years, he initiated Weisopt into the mysteries of his so-called secret doctrine. It is the same secret doctrine held by Rosicrucianism, Hitler's Nazi movement, the modern New Age movement, and by the Masonic Lodge worldwide. In the book Guardians of the Grail, J.R. Church examined the secret doctrine of the Illuminati. Some believe that this secret doctrine is new, but it's not. Here is J.R. with more. One day, Wiesop wrote to a friend to guard the origin of the secret doctrine in a most careful way. The greatest mystery, he said, must be that the thing is new. The fewer who know this, the better. He, he wrote that the carefully guarded secret of the secret doctrine is that it is not new at all. He said the thing is as old as Methuselah. We stopped identified a mark with the name, the beginning, the beliefs, and the goals of the Illuminati. It was the emblem of the all-seeing eye, which was drawn in ancient times as a circle with a dot in the middle. He said that although men would think it was new, it was as old as Methuselah. Satan's plan is not new. He has never changed his method since the Garden of Eden. You may recall he said to Adam and Eve that the forbidden fruit would open their understanding and make them gods, knowing good and evil. The event reminds me of the subtleties of Satan to this very day. The serpent still beguiles men to partake of forbidden fruit. The Bible does not say that the forbidden fruit was an apple. In fact, the forbidden fruit has been regarded by some theologians as only symbolic, for such a fruit does not appear to exist on planet Earth. But wait a minute, perhaps it does. Perhaps the forbidden fruit eaten by Adam does exist today. It may have been a narcotic fruit, such as those used in mind-expanding drugs. Mind-altering drugs are advertised to open the mind's eye, the all-seeing eye of clairvoyant perception. Mind-expanding drugs promise to bring out the God quality, the ability to explore the universe and visit the palaces of the gods. In the Bible, in the New Testament, it was called pharmakia, translated 
sorcery. It is a word from which we get the word pharmacy or drugs. It involved the use of drugs in religious ceremony. At the temple of Apollo in ancient Greece, a priestess would chew a narcotic weed and breathe narcotic fumes. She would fall into a trance and speak the language of the gods. Even the early Indians would smoke peyote to open contact with the gods of their religion. Yes, the use of mind-expanding drugs was common in the ancient mystery cults and is possibly the forbidden fruit referred to in the Bible. Let's listen as he tells about the emblem of the Illuminati, the all-seeing eye. The emblem of the Illuminati, an all-seeing eye, has been traced back to the mystery schools of secret wisdom in ancient Egypt during the 18th dynasty, or the reign of Pharaoh Amenhotep IV, about 1350 years B.C. I believe it was brought into Egypt by the children of Ham after the Tower of Babel debacle. The Hamites were among those who designed the tower as a pyramid-like structure and migrated into Egypt after the confusion of tongues. There, they built the Pyramid of Giza. According to a book entitled Conspiracy Against God and Man, the teachings of the Illuminati can be traced back to the ninth century. Perhaps it is more than a coincidence that the ninth century saw the development of all the thrones of Europe, established by the so-called sacred family of the Holy Grail. Europe in the ninth century saw the development of the Order of Knights, an elite military organization designed for the protection of the kings of Europe. Furthermore, in the ninth century, the first Masonic Lodge was organized in York, England. Now, I'm not saying that these organizations are necessarily connected. Historically, however, they are parallel in their development and are related by their doctrines. We cannot stop there, however, for the origin of the secret doctrine. Its teaching goes all the way back through Greek, and Roman, and Egyptian mythologies, and its symbol of the all-seeing eye goes all the way back to the sun worship of ancient Babylon. In Guardians of the Grail, J.R. Church detailed the centuries-old plan to ultimately bring in a one-world currency system controlled by the Antichrist. Here is J.R. Church with more. The prophetic mark of the beast predicted in Revelation 13 will not be the result of an overnight afterthought but will instead be the culmination of many well-laid plans over a long period of time designed for the confiscation of the world's wealth and the enslavement of its people. The early development of a one-world monetary system can be traced back at least a thousand years to the guardians of the Holy Grail who instituted an international banking system throughout Europe. It is believed that in the year 1118, the Knights Templar, the guardians of the Holy Grail, discovered the treasures of the ancient Jewish temple, which had been buried before the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, and used the gold to establish their European banking system. Down through the centuries, they have become a powerful financial institution with control over the world's monetary system given into the hands of a relatively small number of banking families. Before we wrap things up, let's listen to J.R. Church as he explains the mark of the beast. Sunday, when world government is achieved and all private wealth has been confiscated, the final move will be made to enslave every man, woman, and child on the planet. People will be branded just like cattle. 
it will not be a Lazy S or a Bar 9 or some such brand as used by the owners of animals. Nor will the brand be put in some inconspicuous place that could be covered by clothing. The eventual branding of people will be made on the right hand or else upon the forehead, right between the eyes. To me, that is the ultimate humiliation as the controllers of the races of men make their final move to destroy the dignity of the individual. The enslavement of the human race has been foretold in the prophecies of the Bible. The prediction is found in Revelation chapter 13, verse 16. He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. The future fulfillment of this verse is not optional. It will come to pass, just as it has been written. And, as implied in the scripture, it will be a just reward to those millions of people on our planet who have rejected the love and grace of Almighty God, have refused the sacrifice of His own dear Son, and have rebelled against His written laws. The purpose for such a mark is recorded in the following verse. That no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. It represents the ultimate control of the economy and is the end result of the confiscation of all property, ending the right of private ownership and the enslavement of all people to provide for the goods and services of the elite ruling class. Total control will not come overnight, but will be the product of years of conditioning the general population to accept the slave masters as their benefactors, who will emerge upon a political stage of this world as the saviors of the human race. The chief among them will be Satan's man of the hour. The Bible calls him Antichrist. I don't know about you, but I have certainly been blessed to hear J.R. Church teach Bible prophecy once again. Now, if you'd like to get a copy of the 320-page book or the CD set of Guardians of the Grail, both are available right now by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144, or you can order online at swrc.com. Get the complete two-day presentation by James Collins and J.R. Church on CD by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Today, we are excited to offer J.R. Church's Guardians of the Grail book and four-CD set. These items from J.R. Church show the framework for a global economy and political system that is being set in place. The four-CD set features the voice of the late J.R. Church, founder of Prophecy in the News, as he examines the Grail legend and takes you back through the centuries to view an emerging family dynasty who may soon attempt to establish a one-world government. Order Guardians of the Grail book and four CD set when you call 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Marvin McIlvaney believes that the world would be a better place if we all just watched old westerns. He explains why in today's Bible in the News report. The United States is in a terrible mess. Ask anybody. If you were to ask someone, why are we in such a mess, you would get a million different reasons. Do you want to know why I think we're in such a mess? I think it's because nobody watches westerns anymore. 
I don't mean the modern westerns you see these days like Django, The Hateful Eight, or Unforgiven, but the older westerns. The ones where you know who the good guy is because he wears a white hat. Now, Hopalon Cassidy wore a black hat, but you knew he was a good guy because he followed the code of the West. If you have ever watched a Western movie or read a Western novel, you may have heard of the Code of the West. Sometimes it's called the Cowboy Code. These are terms that describe the mystique and the conviction of the Old West. This code was an informal guide of the conduct generally agreed upon by the pioneers and cowboys who tamed and settled the Western American frontier. These principles were derived from the Bible and common sense rules that were required to survive the difficult life on the frontier. Some of these principles will only apply or fit the characteristic of life on the frontier. Like, for instance, when approaching someone from behind, give a loud greeting before you get within shooting range. Probably doesn't fit today's world. Or how about, never try on another man's hat. Obviously, some things are only applicable for those times back then. The ten principles of the Cowboy Code are, Live each day with courage. Take pride in your work. Always finish what you start. Do what has to be done. Be tough but fair. When you make a promise, keep it. Talk less and say more. Remember that some things aren't for sale. Know where to draw the line. Character defined the people of the West. Their code represented the core values they held to. Gee, that sounds great, but how does the cowboy code apply today? Though the American frontier is settled, and our modern dangers rarely take the form of bears and cougars, the code is just as relevant today as it was then. Perhaps we may not ride horses to our work, but character never goes out of style. You could do things the easy way, or you could do things the cowboy way. Just ask Landis Hooks. He is a man who showed how to do things the cowboy way. Hooks's bull rider son, Cody, was knocked unconscious when thrown from a bull within three seconds after leaving the gate during a rodeo at the Bell County Expo Center in Belton, Texas. With his 18-year-old son lying on the ground unconscious, the angry bull continued another 25 to 30 feet and began spinning. Except for charging at one of the rodeo clowns, whose job it is to distract bulls to allow downed riders to escape to safety, the bull kept his eye on the unconscious Cody. With the bull out of control and his son lying helpless, Hooks quickly responded. He bolted out of the gate to check on Cody. Then, as the bull moved toward them and began to charge, Hooks threw his body over his son just before the bull lowered his head and struck them both. The father's right shoulder apparently took most of the force. Another account of the incident said that Cody Hooks was able to get up and walk out of the arena. Landis Hook surely had no lofty thoughts when he went out to check on his son. He did what any father would do, make sure his boy was all right. And Hooks then had just one thought when the bull came his way. Shield his son from the big animal with the only thing he could, his own body. Dad did it the cowboy way, and with a real demonstration of what love is all about. Hooks did it as a dedicated father, bringing to mind what true sacrifice is. In John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Which brings to mind God's great sacrifice for us, as his son faced something much worse than a charging bull. 
In the Resource Center today, we have Guardians of the Grail, the book and four CD set by J.R. Church. Call 1-800-652-1144 and order yours today. The Bible speaks about deceivers in the last days. Could the cult of Jehovah's Witnesses be a part of that deception? Find out tomorrow. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.